You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. So John chapter 1, I want us to recognize the Lord as King of Kings, and that's been already a theme this morning. He's King of Kings, he's Lord of Lords, he's ruler of all rulers. It's Jesus, the one that we remember this evening uh, as we worship as a church family and recall his coming 2,000 years ago. Um, we have these prayer books in our, in our church family where different prayer warriors, intercessor, intercessors will chronicle things that they feel like the Lord is putting on their hearts uh, for our church. And, and I do really make it a point to, to look over these prayer books um, because, because I, I want to stay faithful and steward those, those words as the Lord gives them to our church family. Uh, but recently, I read a prayer in one of those prayer books where the person was talking about how they believe the Lord was bringing something really special, something beautiful to our church family in the, in the season to come. And at the end of it, they said this, that we would live with a lot more joy if we knew what God was giving us. And I believe that is the case for both what is to come, but also what has happened. I believe a revelation of what the, who the Lord is will stoke a, a level of joy in our hearts that I want us to grab a hold of this evening, this afternoon. It's, uh, this is, I don't believe that word was written with any, any tone of condemnation of like, just if you knew, then you would be a little more thankful or have a little more joy in your heart, but rather it was an invitation. And I believe that's what the gospel gives us. Is, is not, it's not with a voice of condemnation, it truly is an invitation for us to behold and see, to look and see the joy that's been given to us, the, the, the gift that's been given to us, the treasure that's been given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Coming 2,000 years ago, now living in our midst through the spirit of Jesus, as the book of Acts says, through the spirit of God that's active on the earth today. He's the one that we, we uh, find delight in and we find joy and we allow, allow our hearts to be warmed by, the warmed by the presence of God and stoked with joy. Um, you can think of it like this. You know, there are some people who are, are really into antiquing. Like they go out to those antique stores, those, uh, those places on the, the sides of the road. They stop. They're looking for this treasure, right? There are, there's this anticipation in their hearts. There are other people that are into thrifting. My son is into uh, collecting sports cards. And all of those kind of hobbies, the thrill is in the, the search for that, that precious treasure, that rare, that rare find that's gonna be hidden there amongst, the, amongst all the, the rubble, right? Amongst the, the junk at the antique store, the thrift store, there's the finding, there's the scouring. And then behold, they find this treasure hidden there. This Christmas season, I do believe we have this opportunity to look with fresh eyes, with eyes of faith, with eyes like a child, and behold the treasure that was hidden there in the form of a baby in a, in, a, in a manger amongst animals and livestock, amongst um, you know, this poor young couple, uh, Joseph and Mary, and behold with our hearts, behold a treasure, a rare, rare, uh, a rare, rare, precious treasure in the person of Jesus Christ. I want our hearts to recognize it, and that, I believe, is a rare thing. Let's look at this in John chapter one. It truly is rare for us to recognize the joy the treasure that is in Jesus. It says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
So the vast, vast majority did not recognize him, not just on the night he was born, but then as, as we fast forward into his life and his ministry. Many, many saw him, they, they embraced him, many did not. These are the ones he made, like he is the creator of all things. He's before all things. He's Christ the Lord, and yet they did not recognize. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of both grace and truth. And that's what we recall tonight. The word, meaning the, the revelation of God, the, um, the knowledge of what God is like, of what his character is like, revealed in the person of Jesus perfectly, he came in the flesh and he dwelt among us so we could behold the glory of God. And that's my prayer is that we would see the glory of God with fresh eyes of faith. And when I say eyes, I mean eyes of our heart. They recognize Jesus as Lord and fully embrace him this Christmas, Christmas Eve night. So now in your Bibles, turn, turn back a few, uh, few pages to Matthew chapter one. Um, I want us to look at the Christmas story this evening. Everything hinges on us recognizing Jesus for who he is. And my prayer is that we would receive him rightly and regard him for who he is. And I want us tonight to recognize him in three ways. Because I think in each of these three ways there are things that people often miss. Jesus was king of Israel he came as king of Israel. He was also king of the world, meaning non-Israelites. Non he was the king of non-Jews as well. And thirdly, he was king of kings, meaning king of earthly kings and earthly rulers, earthly authorities. It was, it was all three. And in all three of these ways in which Jesus revealed himself, king of Israel, king of the non-Jewish world, and king of all kings, there's, there's aspects of, of him that, that people oftentimes miss or oftentimes um, don't desire to submit their hearts to in regards to, that, to the Lord revealing himself in this way. So let's look at Matthew chapter one. We'll start in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from Holy Spirit. So this angel recalls Joseph or speaks to Joseph in regards to his family lineage being a son of David, 
meaning that's the, the heritage that he that carries, the family heritage that he, that he walks in, because he carried the king of Israel. He, his, I mean, he was going to be the, the father, the earthly father of the king of Israel. I just wanted to make note of the fact that the angel is recalling the revealing of Jesus this is the revealing of the king of Israel. Verse 21, it says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but, but knew her not, meaning till, until she had given birth to his son and called his name Jesus. Matthew chapter two, it says, now after, Je- now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So these non-Jewish Magi or rulers or kings from the east, they recognized this one. There was something in their spirits, in their discernment that discerned the authority of Jesus that was gonna go beyond just Israel, that it was gonna go beyond just the Jewish people. And obviously it was the drawing of the Holy Spirit, drawing them to come to Bethlehem. But there was something that these kings of the east, they recognized that this one would be not just king of Israel, but king of the the non-Jewish world as well. They came to worship him. Verse three, when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And we'll stop there for this evening. So thirdly, you see this King Herod, this man who had great authority in one of the greatest empires of the world, of Rome. And there's something in him that recognized the authority of Jesus. There's something in him and it troubled him. It kind of unsettled him. He's like, who is this one who's gonna be born king of the Jews, and why would that cause him to be insecure in the least? It troubled him. It troubled him, and you know how the story goes. He goes on to to slaughter, you know, all the young boys throughout Bethlehem in in the, the years to come, in the seasons to come. In response, because his heart was so stoked with insecurity because of this king who was born, who is the king of kings, the king over all authorities and all rulers and all lords, the Lord of lords, King of kings, Jesus himself. So I just want to talk through that, those three things this evening. Jesus as King of Israel, Jesus as King of the world, of the non-Jewish world, and Jesus as King of all kings. So why is it that, if we just consider Jesus King of Israel, why is it that much of Israel did not recognize him as the, the pro- prophesied, promised King of Israel. Why didn't they recognize him? Well, firstly, his birth was a supernatural birth. He was born of a virgin. There's something humbling about receiving a, a king born in supernatural in a supernatural way. It defies logic. It defies human will. 
defies anything we can conjure up or, or understand fully. It's, it's, there's like this mystery around it. And so it requ- requires a humility in our hearts to receive it in faith, that he was born of a virgin. He was born by Holy Spirit. And it's humbling for people to receive that. But I would propose to you tonight that everything lasting in the Christian life is truly supernatural. Because everything lasting in this Christian life, if we're going to truly follow Jesus and surrender our lives to him, is birthed by Holy Spirit himself. Jesus himself said that the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And earlier in John chapter one, we, we read that that this one who would come and bring in these children of God would be born, but not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. They'd be born of God. So right there at the initiation of starting a life in God, it's, it's accomplished or it's initiated and accomplished by Holy Spirit himself. It's a supernatural work. So you can't have it both ways. If you're gonna recognize Jesus as king, you have to also embrace the supernatural reality of that. That's initiated by Holy Spirit in your life. Him opening your eyes to recognize him as this one who's born of a virgin. Why else didn't Israel recognize Jesus as the king of Israel? And obviously some did, but many did not. Well, he was born in humility. He was not born in a palace. He wasn't born amongst royalty, but rather the complete opposite. He was born amongst livestock. He was worshiped by shepherds, as Alex talked about earlier. He was, he was placed in a manger. And I will tell you, this, this became a continual stumbling block for Israel throughout Jesus' 33 years on the planet. The fact that this this nobody from Nazareth, the son of a carpenter, would be Messiah, that he would be the king of Israel, the one that the prophets talked about. It just can't be. It defies all of our human ego and human pride to die at that place and and recognize that Jesus is king, this humble man from Nazareth, born into poverty, But that became Jesus' way. He hung out with uneducated fishermen. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He served people. He touched the unclean. He washed the feet of his disciples. And ultimately, he willingly laid down his life on the cross. He laid down his life for the ones he came to serve as he told us himself in Mark chapter 10, that he didn't come to be served, but to lay down his life as a ransom. So this continues to be a stumbling block for us today. Would we embrace this king who defies all definitions of what we think power and authority and rulership looks like? Will we truly embrace this king of Israel? Why else didn't much of Israel recognize Jesus as the king, as the promised king of Israel? Well, thirdly, he was found in human weakness. We're talking about 
God himself taking on human flesh and he was completely comfortable with that. He didn't need to be proved as king because he just is king. You know, the, the angel makes it a point, Matthew makes it a point as he's writing this, this account of the life of Jesus. He makes it a point to make sure that the readers understand that Jesus was in the line of David. He was in the family line of David. The greatest king in Israel's history, the golden age of Israel. David, the one in whose, whose legacy is, has grown and grown and grown to a point where it's actually detached from the true story of the life of David, which is typical of us. Legacies grow, but then as you recall the actual story, how it unfolded, David's story actually really it becomes a foreshadowing of the humility and the weakness of Jesus' arrival. Because Jesus truly is in the line of David. Yes, both uh, genealogically, but also in the, the, the example that David, David's life was. Because David was the undersized, forgotten, weak child. He was the one who even his, the prophet didn't recognize at first. His own father didn't even recognize it. David was shrouded in this weakness in outward form. But the Lord chose him because he saw something in his heart. And so it is with Jesus. Jesus is cloaked in human weakness. You look at him on the exterior and you say, it can't be. And even to the day of his death, he was being mocked. Why don't you save yourself? Why don't you come off that cross? If you're, if you're truly the king of Israel, why don't you save yourself? But he was okay. He was okay to be associated with weakness, even though he was God. He is God. So if we're going to recognize Jesus as king, we have to embrace all that he is. And recognizing him as king is a supernatural work in our hearts and it's, it's baptized in humility and it embraces the dying to ourselves, which is human weakness and embracing all that Lord has for us. So secondly, Lord wasn't just king of Israel, he was also king of the, the non-Jewish world. He was the king of the Gentiles as well. But why didn't more of the Gentiles recognize him? In the account that we just read, it was these kings of the East who most would, most readers and most scholars would have recalled as, or would have read as non-Jewish, like magicians or um, astronomers or, there's not a whole lot known about these kings of the East. But they were wealthy, they had a certain amount of authority, they had this discernment to recognize that this one, this one, Jesus, king of the Jews, he would be more than just king of the Jews to maybe rescue Israel from Rome or something. No, there was something different about this one. And they recognized him and they came not just to set their eyes on him, but to do what? To worship him. To give, to shower him with gifts. To honor him and to lay their lives down in worship to him. So they recognized him, but many didn't. Why didn't most not, why did most not recognize Jesus as the king of the world. Well, firstly, they assumed they were outsiders. Most people assumed they were outsiders. The, 
the, the message of the Jews was inherently exclusive. God was setting apart for himself a people so he could bring the Messiah to the earth. But even within the message to the Jews, there's this prophetic thread throughout. Throughout the story, there's this prophetic thread that this light would come to the Gentiles as well, that this one would come, this Messiah would come and open up the gates, not just for Israel, but for all that would call on the name of the Lord. And so when they see Jesus as clearly distinct and clearly set apart, unlike any they had ever seen, many did not recognize him as king simply because they assumed they were still going to be outsiders. Those prophetic voices, they drowned him out. They assumed that they didn't apply. Many assumed they would be outsiders and they'd be unable to come to him. But the good news starts with the recognition that we are outsiders, but the Lord made a way, that we were enemies of God. Without him, we are enemies of God, but God, who is rich in his mercy, made a way. So there were some that took a bold move. And if you, read, if you go on to read the accounts in the Gospels, there, there were some that made that bold move of faith to take a step towards this Messiah, towards this king, and say, okay, I'm going to trust that what he's saying actually applies to me as well. I'm not going to stand on the outskirts anymore, but in faith, I'm going to throw my life upon this goodness that's being revealed. That's required of every one of us. Everyone can make an excuse for themselves as to why they're an outsider. They compare themselves to somebody else. Oh, that person has a a special place in the Lord's eye. It's not me, though. Or, I know what I've done. I know where I've come from. I know where I've been. And this message of grace, the goodness of God doesn't apply to me. There's no way. But I'll tell you, he's the king of the world. Why didn't others not recognize Jesus as king? Well, they didn't recognize their need for a savior. There were many who did not recognize that they actually needed a king. Like, we're living life good. I'm, I'm a Roman citizen or I'm... I'm living life comfortably in the the middle or upper class of Israel. I I don't need a king. Or I kind of have my religious box where I feel my my conscience is, is clean. And they didn't recognize their need for a savior king, a king who would make a way for them to, to be in right relationship with the holy God. You see, the gospel starts with the recognition of our need for good news. The gospel means good news. That's what that word means. But many do not recognize that they need good news. Like life is pretty good. The good news starts in the fact that God created us in his image, but we rebelled against that. If you look at the creation account, after God created humanity in his image, man and and male and female in his image, he said it's very good. After the sixth day, this is very good. And we rebelled against that. We rebelled against that designed order. And that's in all of us. Every single one of us, as Romans tells us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory or the beauty of God. God destined us to live uh, in his beauty and his glory, and we rebelled against that. And so that's Jew and Gentile alike. That's not just his people, but that's for non-Jews as well. They've turned against God and they've chosen their own way. And every person 
on the planet needs to come to a place where they recognize their need for a savior. You see, salvation is not a birthright that comes from, from a family, from your parents or from your grandparents, as many, especially in the West, we like to think, and many across the world associate their kind of religious credence to, to kind of their family line, but the gospel has to come near to you, to your heart personally. Every single person has to recognize their need for Jesus. The way of salvation is faith and trust in Jesus is the only answer to the cancer that plagues our soul, which is sin. This is something I myself had to wrestle through, you know, growing up in the church. I would say, like most kids and now myself as a, as a father of, of young kids, I, I thought of the world as the good people and the bad people. You have these, these people that, that they're on the good side and they're just pretty good people. They're, they're kind and they're benevolent and they're generous and then you got the bad people, the bad eggs. And that's how we break it down as, as young people, as kids and growing up in the church even, being immersed often in the, this gospel message, the good news, I still broke it down in that way. There's the good people and the bad people. I just wanna make sure I'm on the, I'm the good side at the end of this whole thing. That's not what Jesus taught us. That is not what Jesus came and said. Instead, he said these very words. He says, he said there's, there's only one who is good. It's our Father in heaven. So he did create us good in the beginning, but we departed from that. Every single one of us departed from that. And Jesus went on to make that, that teaching very clear He said, hey, you're familiar with the law, right? The command that says, do not murder. But I say to you that if you harbor anger towards your brother, you're liable for judgment. If you call someone a fool, you're liable to the fires of hell. That has to hit every single one of us. Every single one of us need to realize, okay, that's what I am due. I've done much more worse things than call my, my friend or my brother a fool. I've done worse things. He went on to say that you shouldn't commit adultery. Right, we would all say, oh, that's, that's the bad side. Adultery, murder, those are the bad side. But Jesus, he levels the playing field. He says, if you lust after another person in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. And we all stand, just cut wide open, cut to the heart. And it's that revelation that causes us to look at Jesus and say, well, thank you for coming. I am undone, Lord. I am so in need of you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Not just for the world or for the other bad people, but thank you for coming for me, Lord Jesus, for providing me forgiveness and right standing with God. And that has to hit every single person in their hearts. Every single person has to recognize their need for the Lord personally. That's obviously what I pray. One of my greatest prayers upon my own children is that they themselves wouldn't place their confidence in being the, the, the son or daughter of a preacher or a pastor, but rather that they'd recognize their need for a savior and throw, their, throw themselves before the Lord as their all in all. So he came as king of Israel. He came as king of the non-Jewish world as well, the king of the Gentiles. But thirdly, he came as the king of all kings. And this unsettled King Herod. 
He's the king of all authorities, all rulers, all principalities, all geographic positions on the earth. He is the king of kings. So much so that it would make King Herod go mad. Because Jesus, King Jesus, is more than a religious king or a political king or a national king. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. So you actually see it throughout Jesus' life. Authorities, like rulers at varying degrees, recognize the authority in Jesus. It started at his birth. King Herod is unsettled by the, the, the idea that this, this, this baby king would be born under his jurisdiction. He's like, it's not, it's not, it can't be. There is, there's no authority that can impede on my authority. I will not have it. So much so that he would kill his own people. You go on to see that in the Roman centurion. He recognized Jesus' authority. He said, you are a man of authority. Not because of his title. I mean, he was, he was non-Jewish. So, I mean, he didn't even regard, regard him as Messiah per se, but he recognized Jesus' authority. You see it in the kings of the east, they recognize Jesus' authority. You see it in, in Pilate at the end of Jesus' life. Pilate recognized something about, and Pilate's wife as well was, was unsettled by, by this one, by Jesus. So time and time again, you have these authorities recognize the authority of Jesus. But many of these ones were not able to submit their authority to him. They didn't want to recognize him as the true king of all kings, the true ruler of all rulers. To really recognize him for who he is, you have to acknowledge him, that he is the awaited king of kings and he's worthy of our lives to be laid down. If he truly is the king of all kings, then he's worthy of nothing less than all of our lives. It cuts us to the core. It's, it's, a, it's the most humbling statement across all of humanity that he is the king to take all kings. Revelation chapter 17 gives us this piercing truth. Revelation chapter 17 says they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. The lamb, the sacrificial lamb, the one who takes away the sins of the world is, he says, he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So nothing holds a light to King Jesus. I'm gonna invite Scott to come forward to the keys. Nothing holds a light to our King Jesus, Messiah King Jesus, King of Israel, King of the world, King of all kings. Our Christmas symbols, our Christmas busyness, our commercialized Christmas doesn't hold a light to King Jesus. He's more glorious, he's more supernatural, he's humble enough to be hidden in human weakness, He's come to us to save us and he's greater than any ruler or competing authority. He truly is the king of kings. We are gonna close with communion this evening to allow like theory to be, to, to be bridged into you know, experienced reality. That's what communion is supposed to do. It's supposed to, to bridge like the ethereal to it impacting my life for real. That's what communion is supposed to do. But before we do that, I just want us to take a moment to respond to God's word. This is what Isaiah chapter nine says. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That is the king that we remember tonight. The king who in fact is in this place tonight. He's in this room tonight. And it says the increase of his government, there will be no end. That's the increase of his rule and his reign in our heart of hearts, in the everyday stuff of our life. That his rule and his reign would increase from here and for every day moving forward. So would you all just close your eyes for a moment before we receive communion, holy communion, sacred communion. Consider this, that Jesus is king of all kings. And let me ask you this, what if you recognized him as king? In every aspect of your life, What if Jesus was truly recognized as king of every aspect of your life? What if Jesus was king of your heart? What would that mean for the heaviness that you often carry, for the worry that torments you, for the wild swings of emotions that you experience? What if Jesus was king of your heart? What if Jesus was the king of your mind? What would that mean for those thoughts that swirl around, that torment you? Those memories of the past, worrying about what's to come. What if Jesus was the king of your mind? What if, what if Jesus was the king of your will? What, if, what, what would happen truly if Jesus was the king of your will, of your, of your plans, of your decisions, of, of everything you set out to accomplish and your ambitions? What if Jesus was the king of your will? What if Jesus was the king of your home or your family? What would that mean? Think about coming, walking into your home even tonight. And the thing on the forefront of your mind is Jesus is king in this place. There's a new authority in this home and his name is Jesus. What would that mean for your home? The things you allow to go on and time and the energy that you give to the things in your home. What would that mean if Jesus was the king of your home and your family? What if Jesus was the king of your marriage? Would you continue to be so independent and fly solo apart from your spouse? What if Jesus was king of your marriage? Would you continue to neglect things? Or rather, would you see his example of one laying down his life 
for his bride. Seeking to, to serve his bride, which is the church. What if he was the king of your marriage? What if Jesus was the king of your job and your workplace? What would that mean? then and there that you would actually allow him to be your source and your provider? Or would you continue to be enslaved to the spirit of mammon? The spirit of money lording over you? What if he was the king of your job or your workplace and that environment that he's entrusted to you? We could go on. speak to myself as well. What if Jesus truly was recognized as king in every aspect of my life? Lord, I pray in this place tonight that we wouldn't allow just another Christmas to go by unchanged by the realities of what's been revealed to us in scripture. But rather, king that you would come near and that we would receive you as king in this place as the supernaturally born king of Israel but also as the king of the world and the king of all kings Lord that we would receive you as the authority and the Lord and the ruler of our lives Lord would you have your way I pray over every heart here tonight that's gathered to worship with us as you do as tender, merciful king, king of peace, would you come and have your way in every heart? Would you do a supernatural work tonight in hearts? Some who have misunderstood you, misconstrued you. It's just some distant religious deity. Lord, would you come near and do what you do to draw hearts to yourself? This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.